0: My prayer this morning is a simple one. Father, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts, amen. (sighs) Now you know I collect two kinds of jokes. I collect jokes about fishing and I collect jokes about heaven. The funny thing is I've never been to either. I live next to a lake and I've never been fishing. When you, when you race to get your uh, PhD by the time you're 31, fishing is not something you have time for. I actually own four fishing poles. When we moved in, my, my best friend gave me two, one for Vicky and I, and, and when we got married, her brother-in-law gave us two. So we, we own four, but we haven't been fishing. And you know what? I haven't been to heaven either. But I love jokes about heaven. I heard a new one this week. Three mice died and went to heaven. St. Peter welcomed them with open arms, and there were three mice in heaven. About a week, a week and a half later, he caught up with the mice, and he said, what do you think? And the mice said, well, it's beautiful, but we can't really get around to it. Well, we have short, little, tiny mice legs. St. Peter said, no problem, and he got them roller skates. What? Another week went by... And the cat went to heaven. (laughs) And St. Peter caught up with the cat and he said, what do you think about heaven? And the cat said, I love heaven. In fact, these meals on wheels are just delicious. (laughs) But we make jokes about things that we don't know about. So we're starting a four-part series on the promises of Advent. And on the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about the promise of heaven. Mm -hmm. Now... Advent is the start of the church year. Last week was Christ the King Sunday. That's the end of the church year, and Advent begins the new church year. We're getting ready for the baby Jesus to come on Christmas Day. We uh, take this time to make spiritual resolutions. We look for it to be a time of new beginnings. Like Danny said, we need to recognize that we're part of the body of Christ and start working towards that. Try something new. Or for individuals, it's an opportunity to reset or restore, renew, or recharge our spiritual life. This is a moment where the church is supposed to stop and say, Are we ready? Are we ready for the king to be born? Now the interesting thing about Advent is that it points us to the birth of the baby Jesus, but it also points us to Easter, and it points us to heaven, because the spiritual life is is not an event that happens, it's a continuum on which we live. We, by accepting the gift of God's little baby, are going to accept the gift of God's grown son, and accept the gift of salvation for eternity. The paradox of the life of Christ is that we equally celebrate his birth and his death. From Adam to Abraham, from Jacob to John the Baptist, the Messiah is promised. What does the Messiah promise? He promises the kingdom of God is at hand. He promises the forgiveness of sins, and he promises a place for his followers in heaven. In fact, he paints pictures of heaven being a banquet. Or a wedding feast, or the world's biggest worship event. I used to serve in a, a community where the pastors joined together once a month, all of the worship bands from all of the churches, and one of us got to preach, and it was called a glimpse of glory. The idea being that all of us, when we get to heaven, will join together in worshiping God, and it doesn't matter your denomination. It doesn't matter whether you sit or stand or kneel for communion, whether you baptize infants or grown-ups or believers. It doesn't matter if your hymnal is red or blue, if you only read the words of Jesus in red. None of those things matter because we're all going to be together. Now, part of the promises we're going to be looking at for Advent, this week is the promise of heaven. Next week is the promise of salvation. Week three is the promise of a Savior And week four is the promise of light in a world of darkness. But today we really want to focus on the promise of heaven. I want you to think with me back to the Garden of Eden before the fall, before the apple pie. Adam and Eve were placed in this wonderful garden and they were asked to do what? They were asked to care for the garden. They were asked to be fruitful and multiply And they were asked not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. We have no idea. It could have been a week. It could have been a month. It could have been years. And we're told that God came down in the evening. And he walked in the garden and he fellowshiped with them. Now, God also gave Adam and Eve free will the ability to make decisions for themselves. And I'm sorry to say, like many of us, they use that ability to make poor decisions. Now, in the book, The Will of God by Leslie Weatherhead, he talks about three wills of God because he had to explain the will of God to his parishioners. He served a a Methodist church in London during the Blitz in World War II. And people would come to him and say, Pastor, How come this one lived and this one died? How come this business was destroyed and this one survived through the whole war? Why? Where where is the will of God in all of this? And to articulate this to his people, he said, you need to think of the will of God as three events. The first one is the intentional will of God. God put Adam and Eve in the garden with the intention of fellowshipping with them and their descendants Forever. Forever. No sickness, no disease, no death, no famine, no crises, no earthquakes. All of those things that dominate our news cycle every day. None of those things would have been there. It would have been perfect. It was the intention of God to spend eternity with each one of us. Fellowshiping together. That's the intentional will of God, if you're taking notes. Now, what happened to the intentional will of God was the circumstantial will of God. Adam and Eve made the choice to break fellowship. We all make the choice to break fellowship. There's not one sin that is greater or lesser than any other. If you have lied, if you have cheated, if you had said a cruel word, if you have hurt somebody else, hurt creation... Turn your back on God. All of those sins are equivalent to what Adam and Eve did and separate us from fellowship with God. That's the circumstantial will. When a child gets sick, when a loved one dies, when there's a house fire or a car accident, and we say, well, it was the will of God, the answer is no, that was not the will of God. That was the result of evil in this world. And God has a plan for that, and the plan was Jesus. And Jesus becomes the fulcrum on which all of eternity balances. Because we, by our circumstantial will, by sin, have thrown God's creation out of balance. But he didn't give up on us. He didn't say, that's it, you're done. He said, I have a plan. And that plan was to send Jesus to die for us, to be raised from the dead, and to invite us to the end of the story. On Advent, today, we celebrate the coming birth, but we also celebrate the end of the story. The ultimate will of God is that he wants to still, for each and every one of us, have a relationship in heaven with no sickness, no disease, no death. No calamity. Christ comes to call us back to fellowship and to a relationship with God in heaven. He rebalances creation. He restores our relationship with God, and he recreates our hearts and our souls for worship. Now here's an interesting. Thing. Gallup did a poll in 1991. Seventy-seven percent of people in 1991 believed in heaven. Seventy-six percent think they were going to get in. And seventy-eight percent expect to get in. I'm not exactly sure if they were listening to the questions, because if seventy-six expect to get in, or seventy-eight expect to get in, and only seventy-six think they're going to get in, there's something wrong there? And you know, they used to train people with evangelism explosion to look people in the eye and say, if you were to die tonight, do you know that you would get into heaven for sure? Reminds me of the story, a true story, of a pastor named William Willimon. And he went to a funeral. And at the funeral, the pastor got up and he said, it's too late for Joe. He said, Joe's dead. Joe's dead. But it ain't too late for you. People die every day, the pastor said. Why wait? Now is the time for decision. Give your heart to Jesus. And Pastor Willimon was upset. How could you preach that at a funeral, he said. Those people need to be healed. They need to be restored. They need to be comforted. And he went home and he fumed and he frust and he was frustrated and his wife Patsy said, you know what's really frustrating? He said, what? She said, the fact that it's true. Heaven is there for those who are willing to grasp it, for those who are willing to reach God's outstretched hand. And his outstretched hand comes in the person of Jesus. Jesus was the promised Messiah. He dies, and he promises the day before his death With this meal we're going to celebrate today, the bread and blood of a new covenant, God gives us the chance to restart. And he promises, if you were listening, it slipped in there, but he promises us heaven. He says, I will not drink of this again until my kingdom comes. One of my favorite stories about heaven and the end of life is of a very young pastor And one of the saints in his church was getting ready to be with the Lord. And having been a pastor for longer than I care to admit, there are times when the saints will call you up and say, it's about time for me to go. Let's put things in order. And they might plan their service or plan their funeral or talk about who needs to be contacted and even the prayers that they would like to be said. And this lady said, Pastor, there's one thing I want you to do. And he said, what's that? She said, when I'm in my casket, I want you to make sure that there's a fork in my hand. He said, what? She said, yes, it's in my will, and I think that people are not going to really pay attention to that, and I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And the young pastor was, uh, as many of us would be, flabbergasted. He said, well, why She said, let me tell you, I love church suppers. I love church suppers when we all sit down and we eat together and we fellowship together. And she said, but my favorite part of the church supper is when they clear the dinner plates away and they say, keep your fork. (laughs) Do you remember those days before we had plastic utensils? They'd say, keep your fork. And she said, and I knew that that meant dessert was coming. That dinner was fun and the fellowship was fun. But the best was yet to come. And she said, and I want you to know that that fork is in my hand. And I want you to tell people during the sermon at my funeral that this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Because the best is yet to come. The warning of Advent is that we live in a sinful sometimes horrible, scary, apocalyptic world. The promise of Advent is in the darkness and in the shadows. In the unpredictable anxiety, God is present. God's promises are true. The kingdom of God is at hand. The best is yet to come. There's three things I want you to take home today. One is that we all need a savior. We all need an opportunity to reconnect with God. Even those of us who work for God, who have devoted our lives to God, who study and pray regularly, who are called to lead God's people, need those moments to reconnect with God. And we all need the promise We all need to live on the promise that this is not all there is. The best is yet to come. Amen.